if you fall one time, two times, three times, ten times, hundred times, don't let it deter you. I have this really vivid memory from my eighth birthday when my mom brought out the cake from the kitchen and everyone broke into song. But this year it wasn't the usual birthday song in a language not our own. This time it was I don't know that I understood in the moment what it meant to have such a catchy and simple birthday song in a language all my own. But as I think about that birthday now, I realize what a gift it was and still is to be able to express and celebrate those simple, joyous moments in my own language. It was as if something I didn't realize was taken away from me was given back to me. Hey everyone, Rhoda here, and I'm back with episode 118, bringing you my conversation with an Assyrian icon who needs so little by way of introduction, the one and only Juliana Jindu. We talked a lot about her childhood in Syria and her start in music and her relationship with her dad. We also discussed her work on Wadidisha and Flowers of Assyria and all the work that went into those projects. We also got a little personal and talked about her not having gotten married and not having children and how she deals with criticism. I learned so much about her life and I can't even begin to express how open she was and how willing to share so much of herself, not just in this interview, but also by way of rare photos she sent me after we talked. Seriously, be sure to check our Instagram this week for some never-before-seen photos. It's not every day you get to talk to someone who embodies so much of your childhood, so I'm grateful I had a chance to talk to Juliana. I think what will come through most of all in this conversation is her deep, deep sense of gratitude for her people and for the love she has received from Assyrians all over the world. It strikes me that she doesn't take any of it for granted. But first, support for this week's episode of the Assyrian Podcast is brought to you by Tony Caligaracos and the Injury Lawyers of Illinois and New York. If you know anyone that has been in a serious accident, please reach out to Tony Caligaracos. Tony has been recognized as a top 40 lawyer and a rising star by Super Lawyers Publication and has obtained multiple multi-million dollar awards. Tony can be reached at InjuryRights.com or 847-982-9516. And now, without further ado, here is the legendary Juliana Jindu. Well, Juliana, welcome to the Assyrian Podcast. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you, sweetie. I'm so honored to be invited to the Assyrian uh, Podcast. There is so much to talk about when it comes to your career and all the memories so many Assyrians have with your songs and all the other works you've been a part of. But I'm hoping in this first part we can get to know you a little better from your childhood. I was born in the much beloved country, Syria. 
I do have great, great memories in that country. We were raised with a lot of love and respect. Uh, but of course, I want to clarify something. My parents, my grandparents are from the much, much beloved country of Iraq, of Nineveh. We are all descendants from there. My dad sent me to a private school. It was uh, run and organized and uh, administrated by French nuns because the Syria was under the French occupation for years, of course, before I was born. So that's why French was everywhere. So I started speaking French since I was in the kindergarten. We had to speak French. And I love this language. Of course, beside the Surat, which is proudly my language, and the Arabic, which I proudly speak, we had to speak French too. So I was in school. I was an honor student always. Otherwise, my dad will hit me. I know that sounds funny, but my dad would really hit me if I'm not the... Uh, if I don't get the highest grade in the class. And I thank him deeply for doing this when I was a little girl. That pushed me to stay always in the first rank. You know, when you have in the back of your mind someone pushing you, no, I don't want you to be the second in the class. You have to be the first one in the class. So I think that entice you to study more, to spend more time with your books, even if you are a little uh, girl. So that stayed in my uh, in my DNA. It stayed in my life programming that I had to be the first in my class. So uh, I was in school, of course, until I was like um, between 12 and 13. Um, there came um, a group of uh, musicians. They wanted to pick someone to do a concert where the money goes for the orphans in Hasake. A lot of Assyrians live in Hasake, right? Yes, they do. They do in Hasake and there's in Qamishli and mm -hmm. uh, uh, other places too, Amud. And we have the, our, our Syriani people that I might right. love. Yeah, they live there. And of course, we have the, the, the village of Taltamar. Taltamar, it's where my grandparents were. The Jindo family were, so my dad used to take us each summer when the school closed. They, he used to take us there so we could swim in the Khabur. Um, we had excellent memories about swimming there too and spending excellent nights, you know, with the breeze in Saltamar. I love that uh, village uh, dearly too. So uh, when I was between 12 and 13, Rhoda, there came a group of uh, musicians. They wanted to pick someone from our school. I remember the nuns uh, trying to, like, uh, like an audience, let's say, mm -hmm. picking a girl to sing, and they picked me. So uh, they picked me. They said, oh, we want this girl. Her voice is, they found it nice at that time. And they uh, had me, they put me in a man clothes with mustache that I am a man who married two women. One of them is very skinny and the other one is very fat. So it was a part of like a comedy sketch, but there was singing involved? It was, a, I, I don't know, at that time, you know, it was a song like... Okay. Uh, like, uh, it, I still remember that song, believe it or not. And the second day after that concert, everybody in Hasake, all my um, uh, students, my colleagues, my friends, they were singing that song. 
it says like uh, I'm going crazy with my wives. This one is fat. This one is uh, um, skinny. And you know, it it was a funny thing. But I was trembling on the stage uh, because I remember people coming into that. They did it in a cinema theater, but not a screen. I I mean, on the stage of the cinema. Right. So I remember like opening up, I started hearing the people coming and the murmuring and the voices. So I used to open the curtains and look like, oh my God, the, the place is filling up with people. And I was really trembling because this was my very first time being on the stage. But I don't know, with God's help, it turned out to be a great, great success. Those musicians, they wanted to take me from that day I mean, the day after they wanted to take me from Hasake and take me to Damascus, which was which is the capital of Syria, to take me there to start uh, having me meeting uh, big uh, composers and big writers, famous writers and become a great singer. But my dad stopped it. He said, no, no, no. She's a little girl. And you know how it, I'm not married. I don't have children, but I have nephews and nieces. And I know what that means now that I grow up. Uh, how afraid you'll be for your girl and you know at that time we didn't have the internet we didn't have the connection uh, items that we have now like, like iPhones and we didn't have that time so my dad was thinking of putting me like with this group of musicians and they don't take me they, they would take me somewhere that he doesn't know he cannot see it, so he was very afraid so he stopped it. He said, no way, I'm not letting her go. Were so, you upset or were you looking forward to going or were you just, what you know, whatever your dad says, you would, you would respect it or were you upset? I was very upset uh, at, this, at the time, but I respected what my dad said. I, mm-hmm. I, I do until today. If my yeah. dad said, Juliana, I want you to drive this, this car, not this, I do it. I respect my dad a lot. And now that I uh, grew up, uh, Rauda, I understand where he came from and I respect him and I appreciate him deeply that he didn't let me go from that time because you never know what would have happened. It also sounds like your dad deeply cared about your education yes. um, in a way that it's sometimes not... Uh, common for you know older Assyrian men of his generation exactly Uh, what was his view like why was it important for him to have a daughter who is educated and pursues her education with that kind of passion because he he was educated too my mom was too. My mom, like in her class, she was always number one in her class. We still have her diploma, of course. She was very smart. She was the only girl uh, from her town to study, believe it or not. At that time, my grandpa sent her to Hasake from Tiltamar. He sent her to Hasake with a group of guys, and there was an older lady with them to after their studies. And my dad was educated. He was a graduate student from uh, Amman, Jordan. He studied with King Hussein. They were like in dormitory together. Uh, so his English was very, very good. And that's where he studied. So he, he, I remember when I was a little girl, he used to bring me always big books. And I would cry, I said, why should I read all these? Why am I <laughs> 
why my friends summertime are playing out, you know? He says, no, you have to read all this book and then I'll ask you questions about it. And now I appreciate and I thank him deeply for what he did. So I, I couldn't continue singing, but I went to, I continued with my schooling. But you know what, believe it or not, I wanted to be on the stage since I was five years old. As far as I remember, I wanted to be a singer. I think and I believe God, when God creates you, he creates with you the mission that you are being created for. I believe that God created me for the stage because I never had love for anything else. Of course, beside my schooling, I loved books like when my dad, when I got a little bit older, when I became 15 and 16, when he used to bring me a new book, I wanted like to eat it up. Like not only I wanted to eat the book, I was like that. So beside my love for books and reading, which I still have until today, I wanted Rauda to be always on the stage. This was my dream. I never looked into getting married. I never looked into falling in love. And I deeply respect the people, the, the many, 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 many people came to ask me for marriage when I turned 16 and 17. Uh, but I love them all. I respect them all. I wish them all the best, but I, I refuse because I always had my eye on the stage. Mm -hmm. So I studied. And as I told you, my dad was always on my back. You have to be the first in the class, not the second, not the third. So I had this in me. And uh, I went to the university there. Uh, we have a test. It's called the baccalaureate test. It's like the last year of the high school before you go to the university. I got the highest grade in it. I was honored by the government. And I'm not saying this with, uh, with arrogancy. I hate arrogant people. I'm saying it just because it's a fact. So I got the highest grade. So the government honored me. They took me to Damascus. Then my dad let it happen because I was like 16, 15, 16. They came in the, the uh, organization, the youth organization of students. They took me and it was my first time ever going on a plane. <laughs> I've never been on a plane before. They took me from Hasake. We went to Damascus and uh, the minister of education came in and he honored me and he honored uh, other ones that um, uh, became the first one in other things. And they got the highest grade in other things. And uh, the government paid for my school at the university in Aleppo. My dad put me with nuns again. Uh, the nuns were very nice. Again, half of them were French. Uh, we used to speak French all the time. But you had to pay monthly fee for being there because they take care of your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner. They clean your clothes for you. So you had to pay money. But I was the only one that I didn't pay anything because the government paid for that. And I thank, I thank them very much for it. What a proud moment for your dad. Um, did, he to, did he get to be there when you were receiving the honors or you went by yourself? No, I went by myself. Okay. He took a ticket for me. But the, I had uh, teachers, like female teachers. He didn't mm -hmm. go unless he saw that there were some teachers <laughs> with me and male teachers too. But he was not there with me at that time. But there was a TV. I wish if I can have, if I can put my hand on that program. At that time, you know, the TV was not, not everybody has a TV. Sure. Was, yeah. 
but uh, there was the Syrian TV. They were like uh, they were like filming that. Uh, but um, as I told you, I thank them for giving me the money to study four mm-hmm. years at the University of Aleppo for free. And you studied French literature? I studied French literature because I love that language. As I told you, I started speaking it since I was in kindergarten. Right. So I fell in love with the French literature, French education, French elegance, French perfumes, French everything. Tout est devenu français. I mean, everything became French in my life uh, for some reason. Uh, that's why when I go to Paris now for singing, once I get to the airport, you know, I put my passport, I put it and the, the officer looks at me and, you know, he thinks like, oh, here comes an American person. So he says, good morning, you know, French, they with the R, the R. Good morning, uh, ma'am. So I say, oh, bonjour, monsieur. They love it. Those of me, he says, oh, my God, you speak French with no accent. Are you Parisian? I say, no, honey. <laughs> and I start speaking French to them. So I, I fell in love with the French uh, education and culture and language, and I continued with it. And I again, I graduated from... University of Aleppo with uh, with a great honor. And then we came to Chicago. Mm-hmm. We immigrated to Chicago because my aunt was here years before us. And she told my dad, uh, I want, I'm missing you guys a lot. Please come to the States. So she did our paper and it took us a couple of months only. And we came as immigrant, of course. I think once we arrived here, everybody started working like one week. My mom, my dad, my brother, my sister, they rested for one week and everybody started working, started paying taxes, which again, I'm proud of. Uh, because once you come to a country, you have to respect that country, you have to respect the law of that country, and you have to become a constructive citizen of it. So uh, I was the only one that who went to school. And the little one, like I had my little sister, she was... Uh, at that time, she was five years old, and my brother, he was seven years old. Uh, my dad put them to school right away. But the other ones, they worked, and my mom and dad worked, and I, my dad sent me to, uh, to the University of Illinois in Chicago. I, to, I said to my dad, Dad, now I want to sing. I, I <laughs> he says, no, 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 no. Even with your University uh, of Aleppo's degree, I want you to have a higher degree just in case your singing and your singing career, something happened to it. I want you to have something to fall back on and I want you to be educated, he said. I don't want you to be like just sing, like just being on the stage for hours. Or He says, I want you to be educated. That really frustrated me at the time because I was looking very much forward to... But again, I thank him for doing that. So I went to University of Illinois. I presented my papers and uh, the head of the faculty, uh, he saw that my French was very strong. Uh, there was a TOEFL test. You had, as a foreigner, Rhoda, you had to pass a TOEFL test in order for them to accept you at the university. So um, the head of the faculty, she was a friend. A lady from Paris, she said, your French is so strong, I'm not going to have you waste many months on studying TOEFL tests. She said, I'll put you at the university right away, but you have to uh, pass the TOEFL test. Can you do both at the same time? I said, yes, please. 
I can do it. So I was studying day and night, Rhoda, day and night until I passed the TOEFL test with uh, with very good uh, grades. And I worked on my master's degree in University of Illinois, and I graduated with honor again. And then I said, Dad, that's it. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> that, that's it. I said, don't tell me to go for my PhD. I'm not. I, I, and you know, you grow older, you become bolder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, no. I'm not. Now I have to go. And then he said, okay, now I'm with you. If anybody says anything from like his brothers and his sister, they started complaining. They said, oh, wow, Juliana is, is the respect of our family. You've been to non-school all the time. And why would you let her sing now? They, they were afraid. They thought like, once you become a singer, you're going to start going to bars and you're going to start drinking and drugs. They were afraid of that. But my- There's a certain like association they had with what it means to be a singer and they didn't want you or the family associated with that. Exactly. They were afraid. So my dad said, no, I know what I raised. I know the girl that I raised. I know her inside out. I'm 100% sure that she's not going to do, she's not going to break our hearts. She's going to be an excellent person, a respectable one, and she's going to do what she loves. Only believe me, he said to them, believe me, there won't come a day that you will see Juliana on drugs or drunk or something. And then I proved my dad right. So afterward, after they waited to see like how it's going to be, now when they see me, they kiss me on my head and they love me and they're very proud of me. Uh, and again, thank to my dad because he was always beside me. And my mom, my mom is a great lady, Rhoda. I never, never seen my mom screaming. I never seen her raising her voice on none of us. And she was always in my back when I was a little girl. Like a lot of times I didn't know how to do my composition. She used to help me a lot with my composition. And the teacher would write for me, excellent, but not for you, for the person who helped you. (laughs) (laughs) She knew like it was above my ability when I was a little girl. My mom used to, to do the composition for me. And by the way, where I got my voice from, it's from my mom. My mom has an excellent voice, Rhoda, but my grandpa did not let her sing. You know, Malala Yousafzadeh? Yeah. Her her dad um, has a TED Talk, and in it he talks about how he believes that the reason why his daughter pursued her education and has become this person so many girls in her country look up to is because he never clipped her wings um, as oh, he yeah. that he allowed her to be able to fly. And okay. you talking about your dad reminds me of that, reminds me of the kinds of fathers who allow their daughters to soar um, yeah. while, you know, having some structures in place. But it sounds like you earned your dad's trust. And once you did, he was behind you for the goal that you had set for yourself. Yes, he was. And once I became a singer, he was always behind me, pushing me, supporting me. When my uncles came in to to start a conversation about uh, why, he says, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. I don't want you to go any further. I'm very proud of her. I'll send her to the end of the world now. And I'm not afraid. 
as I told you, my mom and her sister, she passed away last year. God rest her soul. My, my aunt Hawa, Hawa, it's like Eve. She had an excellent voice. Oh, my God. If, if you'd heard her, you would say, oh, that's such a waste that these two did not become uh, big stars. But that's life. What can yeah. So how did you begin your singing career in Chicago? Did you come out with a record? Did you start singing at weddings? What was the first step? I started getting in touch with some musicians. And then one of them was uh, Johnny Horia. He really helped me a lot at the beginning. I thank him deeply. I wish him the best. I, I believe he lives in Spain now. I don't know where. He helped me a lot with my first uh, tape as music. But uh, Ninus Nirari, he's mm -hmm. one of our greatest uh, writer. He helped me with my first tape as uh, uh, lyrics. He wrote all my songs. He gave me all my songs and he gave them for free. And other musicians that helped play in my uh, first tape, they were telling me, because before me there were other Assyrian singer, female and male, and they used to tell me, Juliana, sing for this singer, sing for that singer. People don't know who you are. You cannot go up like that. Just go on the stage, sing songs for this man or for this lady, and so they would know you. And I believe because my dad... Um, instilled in me that thing of I can do it of uh, be the first one I think that played a big role in me uh, kind of refusing that I said no I'm gonna do my own songs and I'm gonna get up with my own style and I'm gonna do my own tape even though people don't know who this girl is who's Juliana Jindu who came to the market we don't know her we know other singers before I said I'm gonna do that if people like me I'll continue with it if they don't I'll go back and work on my degree work on my uh, PhD so uh, they helped me beside the musicians that helped me recording of course and it was a tape at, at that time the tape came out and I took it to the radio station the Assyrian radio stations mm -hmm. here Chicago and right away it was a, a boom like they said oh a star is born her name is Juliana Jindo right away they took me um, to the stage uh, on Christmas day of that year there was um, my beloved friend uh, David Simon the singer that David Simon he said yeah yeah bring her please bring her it was his party his Christmas party <laughs> It was in Hyde Regency somewhere in Chicago. This was my very first day going on the stage as a singer. I mean, beside when I was 12 and between 12 and 13, it was a light from them. From there, people start liking me. And after Christmas, what comes? It comes New Year. They heard about that girl who came on the stage uh, for Christmas. So they called me for New Year's party, which was the party of our much beloved singer again, uh, Elizabeth Oshana. And they put me in the program. They just added me. I was not the main singer, of course. I didn't have enough songs. I They gave me like half an hour, something to sing. And people liked it then too. And at that party, there was someone from Detroit at the New Year's party, there was someone from Detroit who called 
the Nadi Al-Kushnaye in Detroit. It was under the direction of, God rest his soul, Hachicha, uh, Noel Sacco. He was the president of the Al-Kushnaye club at that time. He called him and he said, listen, there is a, a new singer that came in the market. Her name is Juliana Jindo. And... Um, I think you're going to like her. So they brought me Rauda for Valentine party. I mean, after New Year's, here come, came the Valentine party. And this was my very first party in Detroit ever. I believe it was um, Bell's Band, Majid Kaka. And there was Hamid too. Hamid was younger, of course. Hamid Asmaru was at the party too. And he sang, both of them, they sang beautifully. And and the party, even though it was my first appearance in Detroit, it was full. It was packed with people. I don't know if they heard about about my uh, uh, party. in, in uh, It was not my party. Again, it was Elizabeth Oshana's party. I don't know if they heard about that. It was packed. So and they 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 were like oh wow who is this you know and, uh, you know something new in the market and uh, I was coming down with the people dancing with them uh, going like close to their tables and this was something new at that time so what happened I was supposed to be at that party only and fly back the second day but the people who were at that party told Noel Sacco God rest his soul. Don't let this girl go to Chicago. We want her here next week again. Everybody that was at that party, they said, we want her to do a party again next week for the people that didn't come, that couldn't come. So uh, the second week we had like a full party. Again, it was packed even more than the first one. And in that party, who was there? The association of the Ardnaye. They said, we want to see this girl. And they said, oh, okay, don't let her go to Chicago. We want her next week by our club. So I did a party for Ardnaye. And then who was there? Tilkepe Club, like the association of Tilkepe. They were there too. And they said to Noel Sacco, God rest his soul, they said, please don't let her go to Chicago now. It's our turn. We want her to sing for the Tilkepe And then came the Zahonai and then the Mengishnai. And then and, and it went on from that day until today. And my dad was saying, I want my girl back. You were supposed to take her for one party. And now and it went for a month and then two months. At that time, we didn't, we didn't do parties like on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. It was from Saturday to Saturday. So I had to stay the whole week there. So I thank the Al-Kushnaye deeply because they were the very first one to bring me to Detroit. And But at the same time, I thank the Ardnaya, Tilkipnaya, Zahunaya, Mengishnaya, Bibatnaya, Akraya, everybody. And I'm sorry if I if I forget any one of them. I don't mean to, but I thank them deeply because they showed me so much, much, much love, Rauda, in Detroit. They showed me so much love. I will carry it with me until the day I die. Um, do you remember the first wedding you got booked for? No, honestly, as a wedding, no. <laughs> I remember the first wedding. I just remember the parties because yeah. with party after party after party after party. But I but then people started calling me for weddings with others. 
years, of course, at the beginning, because and then I started working on my next tape, which was with the with the Ashur Baba, the much beloved mm -hmm. Ashur Baba. Ashur Baba is a great composer too. He did my uh, second tape, which was and those songs became hit. I mean, I, I wasn't there in Iraq when people used to call me and tell me, oh, Juliana, if you sit in buses, in restaurants, and wherever you go, it's this tape playing. And that song became so famous. It's uh, It was given for me by Adwar Musa, the great mm -hmm. writer and uh, composer and musician. He's one of the great legends we have, Adwar Musa. Became really a hit, that tape. And then people started booking me for a wedding by myself. Of course, this was not enough to run a wedding, so I started singing for other Assyrian sing singers with my deep love and respect for all of them. Like no singing their songs, right? Like covering them? Yes, singing their songs with my songs so I would be able to cover the whole wedding because I had only two tapes at that time. And with two tapes, you cannot uh, you cannot uh, cover a, a wedding. Then right away, I started working on my third tape and fourth tape and so on and so on. And of course, after that, a lot of writers and musicians, they gave, uh, they gave me songs. And then the Syriani people heard about this Juliana in uh, in in the states and of course i don't want to forget that once i started doing this in detroit michigan uh, the chicago people started paying attention to that girl too so they started booking me for new year's in chicago they started booking me for uh, uh valentine parties uh, for halloween parties for uh, uh, Thanksgiving parties, and I had a lot of love and respect from the Chicago, from the Assyrian people in Chicago too. They really supported me. They have been there for me too. Uh, I've, I haven't seen nothing from them but love and respect until this day. So the people, our people in Europe, uh, the Assyrian people, they heard about this girl, Juliana, and they called me. So I went to Sweden, I went to Germany, and uh, of course at that time I didn't know how to speak Syriani. We're all one people, uh, Rauda, this is how I look at it, we're one people. I, I, I hate to go through the distinction that this guy says I'm like that or like that. We're all one people, that's what my dad taught me all my life. We are one. So uh, one body, one language, different accents. So I uh, I went to to Sweden and I didn't know nothing but I because I'm good in languages I believe you know your brain it would be good either in maths or in languages I am very bad in math <laughs> I, I mean I know one plus one is two two plus two is four <laughs> <laughs> but don't give me like a, something mathematics to resolve I don't know how to do it and, and never like my brain is not there it doesn't that part doesn't it's far away from me but I'm great in languages I pick very fast so I went to Europe to Sweden and Germany and Holland those places and I was paying attention to each word they were saying and I started questioning what is what does that mean for example, how are you? What does that mean? They told me it means, uh, how are you? Uh, for example, I am good. And other and other and other words. And then it became like, like I'm speaking our, I'm speaking like 
Arabic, Assyrian, French, it became the same thing to me. And I think because you because you knew how to speak Assyrian, like I had no idea what you just said means I'm good. But when I think about it, I think of the word tawa, which means tawa. good. I love the Syriani a lot. And the Syriani people, they showed me so much love and so much respect. I will never forget that too. All the associations, the churches, the people, the football teams, the Yani Asiriska football team, they were there for me for the parties all the time. All the associations, all the, they showed me so much love. I cry even. I mean, I cry when I remember the love that I, how much love I received from Detroit, how much love I received from Chicago, how much love I received from, from, uh, from the Syriani people in Europe, everywhere, in Australia, in the Soviet Union, in the Soviet Union, I never seen but love from my people all my life. So I decided to do CD in Syriani. And I am very proud to say that I'm not uh, an arrogant person at all, Rauda. People don't know me. I'm not arrogant at all, but I'm saying it as a fact um, that Giuliano Gendo is the very first singer to sing Syriani. I mean, from like us, the Assyrian singers from Chicago and from the right. I am the very first one to start singing Syriani, full Syriani. So I have many, many songs of Syriani. They are my songs, original songs, and I thank everybody who helped me in them. Uh, one of them was the writer, George Shamoun. He's much beloved, and he's a great writer, and other ones. Uh, and then there was uh, Malfono, Joseph Melke. He died. Uh, God rest his soul. He gave us music. And other people, too, uh, George Faraj, Hanna Jirjo, you know. And uh, there was like um, a lady who helped me a lot, Elizabeth Haffo. She really helped me. I stayed with her. Uh, she helped me with my uh, Syriani. She used to sit down with me for hours and help me with the pronunciation. So uh, people were amazed that when Juliana is singing Syriani, she sings it so uh, profoundly correct that you think I'm a girl from Tor Abdin. I am from Turkey. I'm, they, they think for the people who didn't know where I am from. So I started doing the Syriani. Now I speak Syriani like I'm talking to you. It's like it, it became so natural to me. And I'm very proud of that. That's such a beautiful way, I think, to <laughs> prove that, you know, what you said, you believe that we are all one people. Exactly. Um, and I think that's a beautiful way of, walking the walk and not just talking the talk. What does it take for you to prepare for a whole night of singing and keeping a party going? <laughs> uh, first of all, it's my prayer. I, I am deeply religious. I pray a lot. I pray in the morning. I pray at night. I pray before I eat. I pray when I sit in the car before I start the car. Uh, and I pray uh, before I go to a party. Of course, uh, if God is not with you, you cannot do nothing. But what I do to prepare is a lot of sleep, Rhoda. Mm. Yeah. If I don't have my hours of sleep, I cannot perform nicely. And your voice, even your vocal cords, they need hours and hours of sleep. 
but food, when it comes to food, a lot of people, they say, oh, don't eat salty. Oh, don't eat sour. Oh, don't eat torchille, for example, like <laughs> the pickles. Don't eat hot chili peppers. I eat all that. <laughs> so just rest. Just rest, yeah. I honestly, I've been eating, um, I don't know if you know, it, it's a citric acid, citric yes. lemon, you know, lemon doozy, we call yes. it. Until today, I eat that. My mom screams at me, says, Juliana, if you want your food to be uh, lemony, put some uh, natural lemon on it. I said, mom, I want that. So I, I always uh, sprinkle it over everything I eat, except for breakfast. I cannot eat it like <laughs> If I'm eating cereal, I'm not going to sprinkle <laughs> Or no sour eggs. <laughs> yeah. But uh, food, it, for me, I don't know, maybe it's my body, it's my DNA, it's the way my my structure is. It doesn't, maybe other people does affect them, you know, the way they My vocal cords, the main thing for my vocal cords is sleep and a lot of sleep. Yeah, when I sleep like nine, ten hours, I go to the party like I'm a lion. I want to eat the stage. I want to that yeah but if i don't sleep oh i became like a chicken (laughs) when you talk about your career and as i think about it you strike me as the kind of singer who has taken risks um even when people may have told you those risks may not pay off not just you know releasing a record in syriani or in arabic but also you have been in a movie, you've sang songs in other languages, you've done projects for exclusively for children. So I really want to talk about those two. I want to really ask you about Wardedishe because I think that your duet with George Home is one of my favorite Assyrian songs. Um, it is so beautiful. And George Home was obviously such a beloved singer in the community. And I am so curious what it was like for you to work with him and what it was like to be a part of that movie. Dedishe was one of the pillars of my uh, singing career, honestly. I mean, we had such a, a three, um, me and George Home, God rest his soul, and John Home, God rest his soul mm-hmm. to John Homer was the one behind the camera and behind the pen. He used to write too the songs. And George Homer was an actor and a musician. He used to like to play uh, the kamanja, we say it in Arabic, the violin excellently. And he has an excellent voice. And to put the music, he put the music for all the songs we did in Wardedishe. It was such an amazing experience that I had with these two, beside the actor and actresses they were in the movie. We used to work a lot, uh, Rauda. I mean, me and George Homi, we used to do the, the the scenes, me and him, and or me and the other singers, and the other, I'm sorry, actors. Mm-hmm. But after everybody goes to sleep, they go to rest. It was me and John Homi, the brother, who used to stay behind the, I mean, uh, in front of the screen, Mm-hmm. sitting on our chairs until eight, nine in the morning, editing what we did during the day. Yeah, so we worked really, really, really hard. I became so skinny because we didn't have time to eat. We used to work so many hours, even like uh, John Hume would sit, I would put him 
in a chair in front of me and I would sit behind him. And then he started telling me, John Homme, the, the oldest brother, the, the video man, used to tell me, Juliana, look, do you want this picture? Should we make it to the right? I said, no, 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 take it to the left a little. Oh, take it to the right a little. Oh, put this color like that. Oh, do this color like this. So we really worked very hard. And at the same time, he he would write the songs. So imagine like, with one camera on his shoulder, uh, Rauda, one camera, like if he wants to take the scene, yeah, if he wants to take one scene, he has to take it from so many corners. So it was a lot of headache for him and for us. Like if if you have like two, three cameras taking shots from here and there, you would do the scene one time. But if you have only one camera, you have to repeat the scene a couple of times so he can take it from different corners. Yeah, a lot of work. And all the actor and actresses that worked with us, like, oh, they were they were magnificent. They were hugely magnificent, all of them, regarding the fact that none of them is an actor, is a mm -hmm. professional. Actor, see, you bring someone and you put him in front of the camera for the very first time. Okay, do that. Say this. Uh, cry. Uh, do this. And they did an excellent job. How so, did you get approached to work on the film? John Hume called me. So he was in Australia. He called me. I was, of course, here in Chicago, between Chicago and Detroit. He called me and he said, Juliana, I have an idea of, of a film. I said, film? Like, at that time, you know, it was like, film? Assyrian film? He said, yeah, yeah, we're going to do an Assyrian film. Uh, an Assyrian film, like, um, I believe there was, uh, I don't know if there was one film before us, but it didn't have, like, songs in it and jokes in it, and it wasn't done in the way that John Hume did this film, see? So mm -hmm. I consider, we consider where the Disha, like, the very first Assyrian movie in that aspect, like contain songs and jokes and uh, teaching uh, lessons in a way that he's teaching you that, oh, go, your country is such a beautiful place to go back because uh, how Nina P goes back to, to mm -hmm. the uh, so he approached me. He told me, Juliana, I have a movie. What do you think? And I said, let me think about it and tell me a little. So he gave me the storyline. And I slept on it for like a couple of weeks. And then I said, but he said to me, you know what? When you come here to Australia, it's not going to finish in a week or two. You have to stay here for, let's say, two months. So I said, okay. I said, okay, let me take this risk. So I flew to Sydney and they did parties for me, six, seven parties at the same time, each Saturday, like in one place. And during the week, we were working on the movie. How long did it take to finish uh, the filming process? The filming process, beside the, the editing, I think two months. But we, usually it's not supposed to be in two months. It's right. <laughs> but we worked like crazy. We worked like, oh, my God, there's no tomorrow. And one time, John Homer, I remember, said to me, I was, you know what, Rauda, I, I am a person who loves her job a lot. So I was pushing him like he used to smoke. Like when we are doing the editing, if he he said, Juliana, I need five minutes to smoke. I want to go out to smoke. I, I would tell him, oh, and we're, you're going to stop five minutes now. Forget about your smoking. So he said to me, oh, poor, poor John, God rest his soul. He said, we, I had him work so hard. He said, if one, if I die this week, it's going to be <laughs> where I 
Just tell him, no, no, you're, you're not going out. You're not smoking. You're not. He said, I need to go to, to just a second. I said, no, you, I'm like you. How come I'm sitting on the chair and not going anywhere? So push him and push him. So once we we finished the Wardedishe and then came the, the children's songs, mm-hmm. he used to call me and him and his wife. I love her dearly. She's a great lady. That's why she she stood behind a, a legend like John Homme. She's a legend herself too. Me and John, like we would work so hard. I love my job so hard that I didn't want to waste a minute. So what his wife, uh, Najat, Naja, she's uh, she's John Homme's wife, God rest his soul. She used to tell me, oh my God, Juliana, after you left, John tried to work with other people too. And it, it sounds like you had a really good, um, you had really good chemistry and a good working relationship. Yes. Yes, we did. Honestly, we were like three people in one body. John would put the lyrics, uh, George would put the music, uh, and I would I would push for the camera. I would push like for the for the editing. I would push for doing this, for doing that. So his wife, John Homer's wife, she would tell me, Juliana, he he he's not being able to work with somebody else. He is like kind of laid back, so he needs someone like you to say, "Come on, do this." Come on. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the reasons I consider him such a legend in his own right is yeah. that what he did with Werde Dishe wasn't, it wasn't just that it was the first film. Um, it wasn't that it was the first film that had songs. It's that the topics that it covered were deep and meaningful and also a little taboo. Um, I'm going to, I'll tell you, my mom did not let me watch Wedadisha when it first came out <laughs> until I was a little older. I mean, it deals with uh, rape and defying, you know, gender norms. Uh, what a man ahead of his time uh, yes. to be making a movie for our community and I, I was just thinking about this last night as I was thinking about talking to you about Wadadisha. I was thinking, were any of you afraid that you were going to get backlash for having those kinds of topics covered in this film? Criticism exists always. So that didn't faze me at all. Mm-hmm. I knew that I, there will be criticism. Me and John, we would sit hours and hours when George Homme, the singer, w- would sleep and me and John Homme would sit alone and talk. We knew there will be like criticism. We knew that there will be people, uh, um, I hate to say it, jealousy, that that exists. That's nature of life, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's uh, so, but it didn't faze us at all. Nothing phases me. You know, I believe, Rauda, since God is with me, I love people. I respect everybody's opinion, even if you insult me, even if you say something good to me. I I take them both. I respect uh, people that are against me. I respect people that are with me. Uh, Everybody has his own life. But criticism honestly never phased me. I believe maybe because my dad was always behind my back and he let me know that uh, I can do this, I can do that. Don't listen to people. Don't listen. You know, a lot of them love you. Of course, they want you to be where you are. And I love those people deeply. The other ones, it comes out of weaknesses. I, I think if you are jealous of something, it's because you have a weakness in your brain. That's how I look at it. It's not because you are a bad person. 
you are a good person, but you have a weakness in your brain that's called jealousy. So I feel sorry for that weakness. I don't, I don't hate it. I don't get mad at it. I want to ask you about flowers of Assyria next, but okay. I need to know something yes. about the duet with George Homme because I have a personal disagreement on the lyrics with one of my cousins and I need to know what the words are because we can't seem to agree on what you're saying. So your first line is and then what's the second part? Oh, I lost. I always thought it was so it's Hey, well i love that song so much i can't tell you what that song means to me every time i listen to it i just think what a beautiful duet and i i wish we had more um of that thank you sweetie yeah a lot of people loved it and i'm glad you like you loved it so yeah. let's talk about flowers of assyria because i think it's also another iconic part of every Assyrian's memory from the 90s. Um, we grew up with the songs. Some of us may have learned our alphabet because yeah. of the song and uh, learned new words and dances. How did this project come about? Now, this project was my idea. Now, this one I called John Homme. I called him from Chicago. I said, you know what, John? I'm thinking of some songs for children. And at that time, we didn't have any songs for children. No whatsoever, nothing, zero. So he stopped for a second. He said, songs for children, Juliana? How? How are we going to? I said, I don't know. And I don't care how much you're going to work hard. You know me, I'm a pushy person. You sit down from now and you start thinking of something. I'm going to give you music and we're, and you write things or I'll, I'll get songs from here and there. I'll, I'll collect them. And I'm coming there, get ready, no cigarettes, no going out, no picnics, nothing. I'm coming there, I, you know, we're going to do a video for children. And he said, like, oh, for children, because he never done that. You know, he always, he did, like, um, video clips for singers before he did the Wardadishi, but not a video for children. I said, yeah, John, and you will, you'll be amazed how much you're going to like it. He said, okay. I trust your decisions. I trust your taste. Let me, he said, whenever you do the song, send it to me so I'll know like what scenario to put for it. Mm -hmm. So I started connect. Uh, I started calling people. One of them was my dear cousin, which I love her a lot, Lida Lawando. She helped me in putting uh, some music and Yosef from Toronto. He's in China now. I don't know. He's He's, he's teaching English in China now. So uh, I put together those songs and I sent it to John and I said, get ready, I'm coming to Australia. And I, of course, when once they knew that I'm coming, they did parties for me too. The, like the Culture Club, the Ninwe Club, other clubs in Melbourne um, and in Sydney. And we worked so hard. Uh, we had 170 children in that video. So imagine you containing 170 children in one video, like when we did yeah. 
I worked so hard. I even got sick because sick. I mean, sick because I didn't eat because I was like always running. My body became weak. Remember, once I I sent these songs to John, we started looking for location, but he wanted me to go in front and speak. That like like the helicopter scenes. We went to the airport, to Sydney Airport, and I had to go to see who was the director. Putting it in a way of uh, please, uh, the, this is the Assyrian community, and we need this and we need that because usually they ask for a lot of money to do those things to to hire a helicopter and to hire the pilot of that helicopter. It needs a lot of money, but because I explained everything to them. They charged us money, and I paid it all from my own pocket, but not that much that they would charge usually. And I thank the the Australian government. I thank the Australian schools. I thank the Australian airport that they helped us in doing these things. What did you hope to accomplish with those songs? I'm I'm curious why this was something that was tugging at your heart as a project that you wanted to do. I love children uh, all my life. I love children. I'm, again, I'm not married. I don't have children, but I have my nephews and nieces. I love children because they are the future of this, of this nation. I mean, if we lose them, then we're losing everything. I always say one of our children of today might become the president of United States one day. So we had to pay attention to them. We had, and and I I looked like after I became a singer and I became known and I had parties everywhere in the world. I looked and I said, wait a minute, Juliana, there are no songs for our children. What about those? You know, we're singing for love, we're singing for country, which are excellent songs, excellent ideas. But what about the children? We never done something for children, and I love them, you know. And for some reason, Rhonda, they they connected with me. I don't know, my voice, it's the way that I sing, I'm singing for them, it's the tone of my voice, it clicked with them right away. I mean, I think so many of us grew up on those songs. And we have such fond memories of the songs. I remember when I was a kid, after you came out with those songs, that's the song we played at our birthday parties. Um, and it was so nice to to have a song in our language oh, for yeah. our birthdays. So I'm, I think that, I don't think I'm alone in this, but I just, I personally want to thank you for giving us those songs in our childhood because uh, they they became a part of who we are um, and to this day so many of my friends who have kids um, they sing those songs to their kids now so it's going from generation to generation oh thank you Rhoda and um, I'm, I'm very happy that it made like an effect on you guys. I'm very happy that it was, it was useful for you guys. And I am, um, I'm not ashamed at all of, of like the pain that I went through asking this person to help, asking that person to help. I'm, I'm not ashamed of that. I'm very happy that I went through that pain and did come with the result that you are liking it today and other people like you they are liking it today because we really work very hard because uh, now the colors that you see in the in the 
keeper of the Atta. I had to go again, talk to people, to ladies and tell them, please, can you help us? Uh, some ladies, they came in to, to sew the, the clothes for the children. See, it is, yeah, we had to make, and we, me and John, we went to the market. I, I bought, I paid everything. I bought uh, materials like white materials, blue material, red material, the yellow. We bought all that. Uh, and then the ladies uh, of a lot of mothers in Australia, the Assyrian mothers and Chaldean mothers, they helped us. Syriani mothers helped us. I thank them for it very much. They helped us sewing the, the medium size, large size, small size for the children. And then I, I talked to the radios in the radio stations. I thank the radio stations in Sydney that helped me to do that. I asked them to bring their children. Now, this was the hard part to bring their children because um, they they have to. That's why I went and I talked to the uh, principal of that high school in Sydney, Australian mm -hmm. uh, high school, because they needed to park their cars. If they're bringing their children, they need to park their cars. And then we had, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I had to bring boxes and boxes of hot dogs and Coke and Pepsi and bread, you know, because they need to eat. Oh my gosh. So you were not only the singer, but you were the location uh, person and cut a design person and yeah. the person who brought the food. <laughs> Honestly, Rauda, I did everything with John. Of course, John was with me, but right. I putting the money. I was the one uh, initiating everything and talking. And then we had to go bring the winch, you know, the high winch. We didn't have drones at that time. So we needed like shots from upstairs. So we had to rent uh, winches. And uh, so for, for a company to bring the winch for us, that took money. So John Homme had to go on the winch over there on the, the high, high winch. And then we start singing. And then once we start recording, I mean, recording, not singing, the songs were mm -hmm recorded once we start filming all these mothers and fathers that brought their children they have to be behind the camera they cannot be with their children they have to stand behind and watch so after I put all these children like in the B, in the Alep, like I put them in the Alep, you saw that. And we had to, to hire an engineer. He's an Assyrian engineer. I don't remember his name now, but God uh, be with him wherever he is. He helped us writing those Alep on the floor and B and Gemmel and Dalet and, you know, so we could put the children in them. So I was going through hell putting the children in the Alep letter. And then I was looking at John from far away in his up there in the winch and, and he puts the music high so I could hear it, so I could sing with it. So I once he gives me the okay to start and he puts the song, I start singing with the song like Alep and then he stops it. I say, John, what's wrong? Uh, we cannot hear each other, but I do my hand. Look, you know, you, right. <laughs> what's wrong? He stops the music. He said, Juliana, there's a guy, a little guy who went out of the end. <laughs> See? They are behind oh the Those children, I don't know what's going on. He sees it. He's on the camera. <laughs> so he sees one child going out. And then he's, everything stops after we've been preparing for so long. Everything stops. I go to the to the little boy and he's crying. Oh. And 
and I said, hi, Bonnie, Moodyle, you know, Bonnie, what is it, Moodyle? And like he, he would like uh, rubbing his eyes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to say that, Roda. He says, I want to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and now what happens, Roda? Everybody else says it. I want to go to the bathroom. And all that work, like one hour until we put them together, one hour goes away. Because this guy goes and the other one goes and the other one want to drink water, everything stops. Oh my, I, the, honestly, as I thought about that entire project, I the, yeah. the thing I was going to ask you was, it is so impressive that all those kids stayed in place. So how did you do that? But now I know. <laughs> now you know. And, you know. and you know the mothers who brought them. And this was not one day. This was not only in one day. It took us like 10 days to do that. 10, 15 days. Because every day they get tired. They go and they come back. And we have to make sure all the mothers are able to bring them at a certain day. Oh, my God. It took us so. Oh, it, my God. Yeah, it took me so many interviews. So many phone calls with the internet at that time so uh the, the parents after we finished doing only the song because the 170 children i had them only in the Ella mm -hmm. the other ones they were like uh, groups small groups so the parents when they brought their children they thought that this is gonna finish because they hear the song is usually four minutes but we're gonna finish in four minutes See, they thought the filming is going to take, okay, four minutes, one hour. When they went through all that with us, Rauda, I swear, one of them says, I'm hungry. Everybody says, I'm hungry. <laughs> and yeah, she said, I never knew, Juliana, we hear the song. It's only four minutes. I said, see, honey, now, now you see, see the reality, how it goes. But that's why they appreciated the work we did. And one more thing, like we went through so much pain for it. John Homme used to write something while I am singing one part of the song. I'm in the studio by a, uh, an Australian guy called Shane. Shane, uh, he helped us a lot. His studio was a tiny studio, but it, it, it gave us a very good quality for the singing. I used to be singing like one part, Tate, Tate, with Tate, Lipid Mama, with Tate, and John Hume would be sitting in the garden outside in the backyard writing the second part. Oh, wow. I swear. And Shane, that Australian, he said, you know what, uh, guys, I work with so many Australian, even German people came here to record. French people came here to record. English, Britain came here to record. He said, I've never ever seen something like that someone is singing and the other one is writing the next paragraph for the singer to come and sing it right there you were building the car as you were driving or and driving the car as you were building it <laughs> Bravo! because we didn't have time we did it like in in like a month or so so all that work all that singing all that pre preparation all those things they have to be done because i had to to fly back i had weddings here work day and night and I'm telling you Shane was amazed he said I appreciate you sharing all of those memories and talking about how much of a labor of love this was because for us it you know comes across on the screen as this effortless you know video of for so for so many minutes but I appreciate all the effort and the work that you guys put into it everybody that helped me in the world Adisha, i thank them deeply 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 
What did you say? And the flower of Assyria. I heard something about you doing dati dati in English. What is that all about? Ah, you heard about it too. Yeah, actually, um, I never thought of doing it in English ever, 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 ever. You know, it's it's a nice song and it's done. But a little boy called Santino, I'm going to mention that later. He lives in Colorado and he fell in love with the Tati Tati in Assyrian. And he didn't know what it was about. He was like, three four years old he didn't know what it was about and he is the one who gave me the idea of he didn't tell me to do it in english but he's the one who inspired me to do it in english you know because i said i said like he loves it in a scene and he does he doesn't know what it means now and he's i I thank his mom dana and his dad and they're they're, I mean, wonderful people. I'll talk about that later. The, the details, I'll, I'll say it later uh, on, the, on the song when it comes out. But Santino is, he's, he's how old is Santino now? He's like, I don't know, five maybe. He's five, six years old. He is the one who inspired me to um, do it in English. And I sat down and I wrote it in English and it came out really nice. And now... I gave it to someone here in Chicago. He does animation. We're working on uh, turning it into a cartoon. And I hope that it will go around the world, that everybody will love it. You've talked about the fact that you didn't get married and you don't have your own children. And it sounds like you you have dedicated your entire life to your music. Um, Do you feel like there were things you missed out on because of that wholehearted dedication? It might sound a little bold to say that, but I honestly, no. Mm. No, I, I, I don't feel I missed anything in my life because I am so much in love with my job. I'm so much in love with recording. I'm so much in love with singing. I'm so much in love with creating like something like a new song, a new video, a new things. Uh, like for the time being, I'm very excited about the Tati Tati in English. Mm-hmm. Do it into a cartoon that with God's help, praying that it, it all the children of the world will love it. So I'm so much in love with my job, uh, Rauda. I don't know, it might sound strange to some people, but this is me. You know, everybody has a different DNA. I don't feel that I missed on something with my love to all the married couples. I my, my brothers are married. My sisters are married. I love my nephews, my nieces. I love my brother-in-law. I love my sister-in-laws a lot. But as when it comes to me, I don't, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's a mission for me to do maybe god doesn't put this in my heart or i don't know there was love in my life i you know i, I don't want to be uh, i have to be true there was love in my life and you know people when someone loves you you love them back mostly on the phone let's say mm-hmm. <laughs> messages because you're so busy with your work that you really become to love someone, uh, Rauda, you know, honey, the whole world knows this is the nature of things. To love someone, you have to invest time. Mm-hmm. You cannot love, you cannot say to someone, oh, I love you so much. And then, okay, bye. I'm going to Holland. I'm going to Germany. I'll see you next year. Oh, let me see in my book. I have October 16 open. I'll see you then. You know, 
<laughs> it doesn't work that way. So even I mean, it's some sometimes over the phone, sometimes in a message. But this is not not real love that should flourish and go into marriage and children and raising a family. You know, it's it's not a real one. Let's say. I appreciate that you've embraced your passion for your career and. Yeah that has become who you are. And I fully respect that. Do you feel a sense of responsibility when it comes to the platform you have as an Assyrian artist? Of course. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And the responsibility grows bigger with time. You know, at the beginning, you are like, uh, oh, you are on cloud nine because you're so happy. You're on the stage. People look at you. People love you. People ask for your autographs people ask to take a picture with you but after a while it's not like that after a while it's hey you have a lot of work to do you have new things to to produce you have to run you have to do this you have to do you start looking at this corner of the of the profession and it's it's a very hard one i don't have a social life i'm always looking into doing something new uh producing something new what can i do next what can i uh, create next and even when you're sleeping like your brain is thinking like oh should i do that but i have not done that should I? you're always like that and so i uh, give an advice for the for the singers of today like or, or anybody that wants to become singer um i want to tell them that it's a very hard path don't think it's something easy uh, it needs dedication it needs patience a lot of it and if you fall one time two times three times ten times hundred times don't let it deter you do not let it deter you because you're gonna fall there will be a lot of falls in, 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 on your road, in your path. There will be failure here and there. But those failures, as, as we know, and as everybody says, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger. I want them to know, like, they have to be very optimistic. Optimistic, but hardworking. Like, don't think like, oh, optimistic. Oh, I made a song. It made it. Okay, this song made it. It's a hit. Everybody loves it. I'm going to lay back and enjoy my success. No. Of course, you will enjoy your success. But at the same time, get up and work, you know, do that. And if you fail, as I mentioned, don't get afraid. Do it again. If you do it again and it failed, do it again. Do it. Keep on doing it. Don't. I mean, it takes dedication. And and one more thing, a lot of people are going to criticize you. A lot of people are, are not going to love you. They are not going to love you because this is nature. This is the physics of nature. Uh, not everybody loves red flowers. Not everybody loves yellow flowers not everybody loves pink flowers everybody loves something different so me personally like there's a singer that i love a lot and there's other singers that say um there's a, an egyptian singer she my mom used to sing for her she's called um Kalthum. but she's a legend she's the legend of legends you know mm-hmm. i don't know why i fell in love with her singing i guess because when I was a little girl, my mom used to sing for her. So that's what entered my ear as coming into life, you know. When I was two, three years old, I remember my mom singing her songs. And and through the years, I fell in love with her. But that doesn't mean everybody should love her. There's thousands, millions of people, they don't love Um Kalthum. Not because she's not a great singer. 
she's she's a, as I told you a legend, but my taste uh, correspond with her with her singing. Uh, and there's Feirouz, of course, the giant Feirouz of Lebanon. I mean, when we were little, that's what we heard, and then we came into hearing the the our great legend. Syrian singers and Syriani singers and Chaldean singers and we came to hear those songs and we fell in love with those songs too. So the reason I'm mentioning this is if you become, you are entering this field, uh, if you fail, a lot of people criticize you, just don't give it attention. Do not give it attention. Do something nice that you believe in, that you're in love in. And believe me, there's like me as a Juliana Jindo, when I do something, I do it for the people who love me. See, when, when I'm focusing on a song, I don't focus on the people that don't love Juliana Jindo's voice or don't love her character. No, those people, I love them. I respect them. Uh, God bless them for whoever singers they love or who whomever singers they are fans of, whatever. But I think of the people who love Juliana Jindo. I, when I'm recording, I think of the people who love Juliana Jindo and I'm doing the song for them. That's why criticism does not affect me, not even one hair. One of my favorite sayings is, you're not pizza or Nutella. Not everyone's going to like you. And that's okay. <laughs> yeah. I like I like constructive criticism. I like it and I need it. If someone knows better than me, if a singer is older than me, if a singer is more experienced than me, if a guy is has an expertise in music, he's been into years and years of schooling in music, if he comes and criticizes me over something that he wants me to do it better, I mean, I will take it with an open heart. Of course, I need that constructive criticism but the other criticism that comes out of ignorance you know a lot of people criticize you uh, and they're ignorant in what you are doing i cannot go and criticize a heart surgeon how how can i criticize a heart surgeon when i don't know nothing about surgery i don't know nothing about heart surgery so i better keep quiet because i don't know what this guy is doing i don't know what he went through he knows better so i keep quiet and i listen but if that heart surgeon if his professor came in and criticized him on on using something that he was not supposed to use in an operation then he has to listen to that professor that's how I look at it. But of course, that heart surgeon or brain surgeon or any other kind of uh, pediatrician, they always have someone that doesn't like them too, or an engineer or a businessman. They always have people that criticize them because they're ignorant, not because they know. So that's why my advice to the singers today don't never listen to someone who criticizes you because he doesn't know. Listen to someone who criticizes you because he knows much better than you. It sounds like you are a person who isn't uh, going to stop singing anytime soon. And I hope that you continue to have a long career in singing and give us music to listen to. If you think about your legacy, what is it that you want people to remember about you? I want the people to remember me as someone who loved her people, no matter what distinction they put into. 
and no matter no no matter how separation they put into it i am the person who love all my people with no distinction all the people that speak my language uh, i love them very much i don't take sides because again i love them all uh, and i am someone who uh, respects her profession profession and someone very religious that i'm deeply religious and the main thing as i told you after god is like i love my people wherever they are the one who love me and the one who don't love me i love them all this is i don't know god created me like that of course i'm a human being i get mad at certain people i get mad in certain situations but deep down overall i wish good for everybody especially our singers the female singers the male singers i do not let anybody talk anything bad about them because after i got into the singing business uh, rauda and i saw the difficulties that they went through i used to go to parties like before i became a singer I I went to uh, our beloved singer Sergun Gabriel, our beloved singer Linda George. I used to go to their parties, to their Valentine party, New Year's parties. Uh, our beloved singer even Agassi, like Ashur Sergis, Jermaine Tembras, uh, Elizabeth Oshana, they were before me. I used to go to their parties all the time, and I was I used to be like mesmerized by looking at them on the stage, you know. And I used to think, oh, it's so easy. Oh, they're lucky. It's, but it's so easy. Look at that. They're singing four or five hours and they're leaving. But after many years that I became a singer and I went into that path and I went into the studio and I went through like finding a song, putting music to it, singing it. And, and then I gave more, even more respect and more love to all of them with no and, uh, distinction and there was Shamiran too you know we used to listen to her and then after that came Fatin Shabo and then Lida Lewando and Somar Lewando and you know I don't want to mention names because you don't want to r- forget some of them and Marlene Khoshaba and those people I used to look at and say oh my god like they went through all that pain now I know what it means that's why I do not let anybody and and of course I don't want to forget the Syriani singers you know like Habib Musa and others and others and others I say oh my god this is what they used to go through oh my god how much pain and how much patience it needs so why I am a person I want to tell everyone I am a person that I do not let anybody talk bad about our singers none of them I do not accept that because they deserve or all the love and all the respect all of them with no distinction what do you think people assume about you that is completely wrong do you think there are assumptions <laughs> people make about you that you're like really that's what you think <laughs> yeah you know a lot like singers even from australia now female singers they talk to me sometimes and they say oh my god juliana is so nice oh my god i am <laughs> 
I, I tell them, oh no, Habibi, you, are, you, you know, I give them so much boost. I tell her or I tell him, you know what? Your voice is excellent. You're going to do it. You're, I listen to your song. It's a beautiful song. And, they, and then after that, they talk to someone else and that someone else tells me, they say, oh my God, oh my God, Juliana is such a sweetheart. I never thought of her. I don't know, people... Maybe they, maybe because I'm tall on the stage, they think of me like I'm arrogant or something. So you're not a diva. No, no, no way. I'm not. No, you know, it scares me to be arrogant because I always remember God. I always remember God. And God says always, do not be arrogant. I mean, you know, if I give to whoever I want to give, I give you. God gave me so many graces. God gave me so many blessings that I, I thank him for them every day. He gave me eyes I could see. He gave me legs I could walk. He gave me hands I could uh, touch things with. And then he gave me the voice. I With this voice, with these vocal cords, I went... I saw the world with these vocal cords. I went to Russia. I, it, it's something that I never dreamt of. I was the very first Assyrian singer again to be invited to go to the Soviet Union. And oh my God, you should see what they did for me. I cried when I came back from Moscow years and years ago. I was crying for two months here. My mom said, what's wrong, Juliana? I said, mom, I miss those guys. I what they did for me i miss i miss the the i can i mean it's gonna take a whole session to tell you what they did for me. i was in in the soviet union they did a statue for me in leningrad it was done by yuri yokov he was one of the best known uh sculpture in uh, leningrad leningrad changed the name now of course these these blessings that god gave me i mean it's not russia only that i've been invited to of course but mm-hmm. i Russia because it was something out of out of the ordinary at that singer to come to Russia. We used to go to Australia regularly, all parts of Europe regularly. Uh, but Paris was the one that invited Juliana. The very first singer ever to go to France was Juliana Jindo. Again, I guess because they knew I was, even though there were a lot of singers before me, I guess they felt comfortable because I, I speak French. So they had to hear me speaking French, that's why they felt more comfortable to call Juliana because she speaks French. I'm not better than any singer, Rauda. I'm not better than no one. And no one is better than no one. I don't believe in that. I do not believe in that, Rauda. I believe in, number one, uh, only in uh, sport. Like if 10 guys are running, one of them goes in front of everybody, he's number one because he ran before everybody else. But in music, I don't believe there's number one. In in beauty, I don't believe there's number one. Like Miss, let's say Miss Universe, she's not the most beautiful woman on earth. And in music, I cannot, you cannot say, to me, I don't believe in that. Even when they give Grammys to this and this, I don't believe in it. Because if they do a competition and I get the best Grammy award, I as Juliana Jindo, I don't agree on it because other singers are very good too. So I, I, I do not believe in that because to me, singing, beauty, those things are are something general. You, you cannot say this guy is better than this. Your ear might like this guy or this girl, somebody, somebody else's ear like this guy or this girl. My eye would like this beauty, your eye would like the other beauty. But in sport, uh, I believe like, as I told you, if... 
10 guys run, one of them will be the first one that I cannot say like, oh, okay, it's in front of all our eyes. This guy ran and he made it or he swam and he made it number one. Right, because it's more objective, whereas beauty and music, those are subjective. Those are subjective, exactly. It's more objective. That's why uh, I say again, I didn't go to Paris because I'm better than anyone. I went to Paris because they loved maybe Juliana because she speaks French. They fell in love with her, as we mentioned, because everybody, different people love different singers. Again, all our singers are great. The question we always like to uh, close our interviews with is we have um, listeners all over the world. And if you could say one thing to all of them, what would it be? I love them all very much. They are my heart. That's what I would say. They are my heart. My heart is beating for me to do to create more music and those people are my heart because if my heart stops beating then i cannot produce nothing mm-hmm. those people are my heart they are giving me the blood to to keep going i love them deeply utterly that's it for this week i know i could have talked to juliana for a few more hours and we would have had so much to talk about So I hope she'll be back to talk to us again, because I know there's still so much more to cover when it comes to her life and career. But we'll be back next week with a new guest and a new episode, and we hope you'll tune in. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on whichever platform you use, and rate, review, and share us with your friends. See you next Tuesday.